Rinkwide Vancouver. The Canucks fall 4-3 to the San Jose Sharks in the tank down in the Bay Area. Highly disappointing result, obviously. Uh, the Sharks have only won four hockey games now, all of them on home ice, and the Canucks at the end of this grueling stretch of games, 10 games in 17 nights, and weren't anywhere close to the rest. Uh, you were hoping that they could pick up where they left off uh, with the big third period in Seattle on Friday night, unfortunately, and give the Sharks credit here. They played hard that much. I think anybody that watched this game uh, would recognize, but the Vancouver Canucks, the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League, uh, have already beaten the Sharks twice, wanted to make it three for three, but San Jose comes up with a couple of third period goals and wins it by a score of four to three as they hold off a frantic push from the Canucks. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway, Jeff Patterson, along with David Quadrelli of Canucks Convo and Canucks Army. And there is a lot to get to here, Quads. Again, disappointment, I think, for most in Canucks Nation here, just because it was the Sharks and they had made it look pretty easy against San Jose in their first couple of appearances. But uh, it's a 60-minute game and you have to play uh, all three periods, obviously. And the Vancouver Canucks, uh, again, had some lapses in their game here and uncharacteristically allowed players like Mikhail Granlin. Like, where'd that come from? Just slicing <laughs> through the Canucks 22 seconds into the third period. I thought that was a massive goal, though. It's 2-2. Canucks have scored late in the second. You think they've got some momentum. It's boiled down to a one-period game to find a, a way to get a result out of the, the tank. And unfortunately for the Canucks, they gave up the 3-2 goal. And then a few minutes later, the 4-2 goal. And at that point, you knew that some alarm bells were going off here. They got one back, but ultimately, that's as close as they got in this hockey game. Jeff, when you see a third period collapse like this, the first thing everybody's going to go to, especially when you look at the Canucks schedule of late playing last night, Casey DeSmith and net is, well, they got tired. They ran out of gas in the third period. Those goals were right out of the intermission. Like if you're tired out of that, were you running on the treadmill in the intermission? You should not be tired coming out of the intermission. And you can't be using being tired as an excuse. And we've been down this road already this season where we've heard guys like Ian Cole, the head coach, Rick Tockett, saying you cannot be using being tired as an excuse. But even further to that, the Sharks played last night. This was the Sharks' fourth game in six nights. They're in a similar boat to the Vancouver Canucks. And you brought up the 10-1 victory. Something that was highlighted on the broadcast was... The San Jose Sharks general manager going down to the locker room after those defeats, the 10 goal defeats that they had, and saying, hey, play with a little heart here and don't let this happen every single night. It's not going to be a fun season, but, you know, have some effort. And the Sharks outworked the Canucks tonight. We should we should not have been saying that past maybe a preseason game. Yeah, and I think you look back at the game in Calgary, and they lost that one 5-2, Casey DeSmith's last appearance. He's now lost back-to-back -back games after such a nice start to the season, and I'm not pitting this on DeSmith. In fact, as we go through the goals here, they were all good goals by the San Jose Sharks. Obviously, Ian Cole might quarrel with that a little bit just because uh, the puck went in off his stick on the power play goal that turns out to be the winner, but I'm not faulting Casey DeSmith, but my point here is the game in Calgary was the end of 5-8, in five different cities, and the Canucks didn't have it that night. They looked fatigued. I, I do think that fatigue plays into this, but all teams play 82 games. Every team's got stretches that are tougher than others. This was the second five in eight. So really, it turned out to be 10 in 17, and that is difficult. It is. They had played last night in Seattle. 
Uh, they had to fly to Oakland. If anybody knows a map of the Bay Area, Oakland is up north. And they had to bust down to San Jose uh, because there are uh, regulations with the San Jose airport that you can't land after, I think it's 1130 at night. And so, you know, there were challenges in all of this. That said, the Canucks, again, the record that they have, the Sharks were there in the standings. The Canucks, the highest scoring team in the league. Sharks, the lowest scoring team in the league. And to your point, like, okay, yeah, it's tough. You know what else is tough? Playoff hockey. Playing every other night for the better part of two months if you want to be one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. The good teams find a way. They find a way to do it in the spring when the stakes are even higher. And so, yeah, this is disappointing because there was two points that were there for the Vancouver Canucks. Again, boiled down to a 20-minute game. And outside of Quinn Hughes, who, again, we talk about this being you know a taxing stretch, well, at the tail end of this, 10 games in 17 nights, the captain played 11 minutes and 54 seconds of the third period, 29 minutes and 49 seconds on the night, 15 shot attempts, Dave. Like, I, I thought Quinn Hughes was incredible in this hockey game. Talk about leadership and trying to drag your team into the fight. Unfortunately, uh, the Canucks, as we said, they got the one late one with the goaltender pulled. Brock Besser is second of the night. Uh, but that was it for the scoring. So they fall by a score of four to three. But, uh, you know, you can't fault Quinn Hughes. I, I thought the effort was through the roof in terms of, uh, you know, giving it everything he had, the breakaway chance in the first period. Uh, Canucks fans would have lost their mind had he scored there the way he busted away and pulled away from uh, the San Jose defense. But, I mean, I, I think this one for me was more that Grandland goal again, like four on four. Look at the top end talent that you can ice on the two sides here. Four on four should have played right into the Canucks' hands. A fresh ice. And again, they had scored late in the second. So you thought a little bit of momentum there. And it was JT Miller, it was Philip Heronik, and Mikhail Granlin just walks right through them. And then around Casey DeSmith. And then Tyler Myers takes the penalty off the faceoff. The only San Jose power play of the night. And the Sharks score on it. So they go one for one. And again, you just talk about pivotal moments in this hockey game. There were two of them right there. At 2-2, becomes 3-2, and then moments later, becomes a 4-2 hockey game. You brought up Casey to Smith, and again, I absolutely agree with you. I don't pin it on him, but this is also the fewest number of saves he's had to make or has made in a game. I shouldn't say had to make because the Canucks would have liked him to make about four more saves than he made, but this was the lowest number of saves that he's made in a start this season. You look at that Calgary game, he faced 38 shots, and a lot of those were of the high danger variety. Especially at the start when you're floundering like they were to start the third period there, you would like to get a save there from your goaltender. And maybe that's the difference in the game, right? Like maybe that's the difference. If Casey DeSmith comes up with a save there, look, I'm not going to be pinning it on a goaltender, but you want to get a save, especially in those scenarios where you give up two goals in rapid succession like that. You need one of those, one of those to get stopped. Mikhail Granlin had one of the nights of his life in this hockey game. He hadn't scored in forever. I keep coming back to his goal. You know, the mistakes happen further up ice than Casey DeSmith. He's your last line of defense. Yeah, you'd love a stop there. And then again, we talked about the Hoffman goal that, you know, Cole's trying to clear it, but that's a bang-bang, and Hoffman basically pushes Cole's stick, and the puck goes into the net. But then remember, Grandlin at 4-2, to two, had all kinds of ice down the left wing and got a really good shot away. DeSmith did make a save. Like, if he scores there, that is curtains sure. for the Vancouver Canucks. So, you know, it's not that Casey DeSmith didn't make saves in this hockey game, but Capo Kaganen, who hasn't been making any saves of any kind, 
uh, gets just his second victory of the season. And man, he was uh, under duress there late in the hockey game as the Canucks turned it up, outshot the Sharks 15-7 to in the third period. And really for the final couple of minutes, a bit of a shooting gallery there with the best players on the ice. I say the best players, Sam Lafferty, enters the conversation. He was the extra attacker. And again, it speaks to what Rick Tockett has to work with right now. And there are some guys that are going, but there are some guys that just flat out aren't going. We saw Niels Hoaglander finally get that long-awaited and overdue promotion in the third period. Got some shifts with JT Miller and Brock Besser. You know, Anthony Bavillier, I wrote about him earlier in this week at Canucks Army. I had a chat with him. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt that he had been playing reasonably well as a fourth-line guy and was just snake-bitten and, and unlucky, but doing a lot of the right things. He gets his chance here to play with Miller and Besser and maybe as quiet as he has been all season long, highly disappointing night from Anthony Bovillier. Now, again, I don't want to pin it on one guy, but you know, when you look at Sam Lafferty getting the extra attacker shift, I, I don't blame Rick Tockett because some of these other guys that you would think might generate some offense for him they have just gone missing in action right now. And yeah, third period in Seattle, lower in the lineup, guys, you're not going to get that every single night. But Anthony Bavillier is stuck on these two goals that he scored in that 10-1 romp in San Jose, 22 games into the season. So I uh, was hoping for more from him, obviously, in a an offensive role with Miller and Besser. And it just did not happen uh, tonight. It's just such a hard equation to figure out and I really don't want to get too big picture on this show, Jeff, but like Phil DiGiuseppe's not going right now. And that's why Anthony Beauvillier is where he is. But now Anthony Beauvillier is not going. So now your top six isn't going. Your bottom six is going. But, you know, that roll the dice quote from Connor Garland. <laughs> you can't roll the dice on winning in the National Hockey League every night. And if this is the strategy the Canucks are going to employ where they don't have a top six that's consistently going for them, but they don't they have a bottom six that is is a dice roll away from scoring a goal. It's not a recipe for success. And I think we saw that tonight on a night where the Canucks bottom six wasn't spectacular. And look, Elias Patterson still doesn't look like himself. And it's kind of what I've been saying in the past few games that we've seen is just look, you're not going to beat teams like the Colorado Avalanche if you don't have Elias Pettersson playing at his best. That's not how this team's constructed. You're not going to be able to overcome that. So right now, you just look at it and see, okay, well, you have the bottom six clicking once in a while, and they're, they're playing as well as maybe a bottom six has in Vancouver in a long time. But when your top six also isn't going, it's just, we shouldn't be having these conversations, Jeff, in late November, it feels like. like It, it doesn't feel like we should be saying, is it time to put the career AHLer back on the line with uh, JT Miller and Brock Besser? Like, it doesn't feel like we should be having that conversation, but here we are. Like, you'd like to see Anthony Bovillier just go out and grab that opportunity, and I just don't think he has, especially tonight. Rick Tockett made a bold decision to park Andre Kuzmenko in Seattle. They win, and people applaud that. Guess what? They lost by a goal. You know who could potentially have scored the tying goal? Now, I know he struggled, and he's only got the three goals this season, and I didn't mind him being a scratch on Friday night, but now this becomes a discussion point of where things go from here for Andre Kuzmenko, back-to-back -back nights, and again, a night when this team comes up short, and Sam Lafferty's your extra attacker, and we're talking about, you know, them sort of wheeling through guys in the top six, and you've got Kuzmenko, a 39-goal scorer for last year, and he can't find his way into the lineup, but 
let's talk about a couple of guys that are going for the Vancouver Canucks, and certainly Brock Besser, 15 goals now, Dave, 22 games into the season. Like, you start to do some hockey math here. There are 60 games remaining, and he's halfway to that 30 number that we have talked about and sort of hung on him since he broke into the National Hockey League. So again, this incredible start that started on opening night with the four, and here he gets two, and he was shooting the puck all night long. I mean, he's a volume shooter. That's when he's on his game and at his best. Seven shots on goal, scores on two of them, and 15. So we have spent a lot of time talking about Brock Besser in the early going this season, but he keeps giving us reason to talk about him. And he really has been one of the good news story on a team that's had a bunch of them, but he's right up there near the top of the list. We are less than a week away from December 1st and Brock Besser is leading the National Hockey League (laughs) in goals. To his credit, like it is late November and Brock Besser is leading the National Hockey League in goals. Team leading seven shots on goal tonight. He's one of the guys that's going. And not to bring the conversation back, but it goes back to the same conversation of, okay, well, get this guy a winger. Get him somebody that can play on that line. I also really wanted to highlight Brock's play in the final minutes with the net empty. A few really strong puck battle wins that, you know, really allowed the Canucks to stay in the hunt for that fourth goal that eluded them in the end. But two goals for him tonight, obviously. Uh, One on the power play. Really liked his game as of late and and really all season. He's been one of their more consistent guys. And look, 30 goals is is the benchmark for Brock Besser, but how well-rounded he's become and how consistent he's become in that complete package That is just something that I don't think any of us saw coming as much as we wouldn't have seen 15 goals before Christmas, well before Christmas, actually, a month before Christmas, 15 goals, halfway to 30 already. As much as we wouldn't have seen that coming per se, the fact that he's, you know, winning those board battles so consistently, like so consistently just being a complete player. I think that's the part that that's really impressive in Brock Bester's game right now. Yeah, forget December 25th. It's November 25th. Yeah. And he's sitting there <laughs> with his 15 goals. Another guy that's going and has been all season is Phil Horonic. Uh, gets the power play opportunity with Kuzmenko sitting in the press box or wherever he watched this game from and scores on the one-timer to tie the game, late stages of the first period, and then uh, gets the assist on the Besser goal in the late stages of the second as well. Uh, Again, firing the puck. Hironic with his second goal of the season, his 20th assist. He's up to 22 points through 22 games. It's Quinn Hughes, it's Kale McCarr, and Phil Hironic at the end of this night is tied with Victor Hedman for third among... So, I mean, the Canucks have two of the three highest-scoring defensemen in the National Hockey League. And, I mean, at some point, I, I do think the conversation is going to have to turn to, you know, what is it going to cost to get him to sign a new contract? And I don't know that we're going to come up with the answer here on Rinkwide after a game, but, I mean, so much focus on Elias Pettersson and his extension, but, I mean, the meter is just running for Philip Aronik here with pretty much every night out. That said, not a perfect night because we talked about the fact that, uh, and there haven't been many defensive miscues, but, uh, you know, he's culpable on that Granlin goal and he has to make a, a better play there. Yeah, like, his season has been very good from a point perspective, but 
Look, not to get too negative here, but if you're going into contract negotiations, I think you could make a highlight reel of defensive miscues for Philip Ronick. Oh, and the Canucks will. The Canucks will. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And when it comes to what he's going to be paid, look, it's going to be a lot. But when you go acquire a player like that and you're going to be playing him on the same team as Quinn Hughes, let alone the same pairing as Quinn Hughes, you have an idea as an organization that, okay, this guy is going to cost a lot. And obviously you've got money coming off the books. And this is just a bigger conversation about, you know, guys like, I don't know, like, like Nils Huglander is one where, okay, if he can come in and be a uh, close to 20 goal scorer on a $1.1 million contract for next year, they're going to need that. They're going to need that. Even with the cap going up, if you're going to be paying Elias Pedersen and Philip Peronik, which in all indication is this team wants to do both of those things, you're going to need contributors like Niels Huglander on this team. But for Philip Peronik, uh, you know, more looking hyper-focused at tonight, I think tonight was one of the nights where you look at and say, okay, super strong game in some areas, but really backbreaking weaknesses in another. And you just said it on the Grandland goal. He's got to be better there. Doing the things that get guys paid. I mean, the ice time, again, is way up there. Uh, contributing offense, uh, playing uh, uh, playing a lot, as we said, in all situations. Yeah, I mean, there was a defensive gap there, and there, a gap, and there have been a few of those, but still, this guy. And, and keep in mind, he's arbitration eligible, restricted free agent at the end of this season, and then you're buying up UFA years. I mean, he's getting a bump. There's no doubt about that. The one thing I do wonder, and this is, again, for another day, but just keep this in mind too, is how much of an internal salary cap does Quinn Hughes at 7.85 million bucks for three more years after this, criminally underpaid right now, given the way that he's playing. But if you're Phil Hironic in his camp and you're looking to get somewhere up into the eights, the Canucks are going to say, hang on a second, you're good, but you're not our best defenseman. Uh, We've got this guy here that is making X amount. Now the market shifts, I get that, and the cap goes up. And so that's probably a hard argument for the Canucks to make. But at the same time, uh, I mean, when you look at the season that Quinn Hughes is having, it's hard to imagine that, you know, there's somebody that's going to make more than he is on the same team playing the same position. So it's going to be fascinating. You know, we've watched sort of the Pedersen parameters and, and comparables develop here Obviously, there hasn't been any movement uh, on that front in terms of getting the extension done and same going for Philip Peronik. So we can bump that conversation, but I do think it is getting to that point now where you have to at least wrap your head around what is it going to cost the Vancouver Canucks to get that deal done. We talk about Pedersen. Wish you get there. He does get an assist on the Besser goal uh, that gets the Canucks within one there late in the hockey game, but his first point in four games has gone five without a goal. One in nine now for Elias Pettersson and five on five goals. The last one was the Dallas game on November the 4th. We're coming to the end of the month of November. So I know there was talk in Seattle about is he injured? And of course, the Canucks aren't going to come out and say it. There is clearly something that's holding him back from playing at a star level. Uh, And this was another night where his game certainly didn't elevate and take the Canucks to victory. But of course, I think the talking point around Elias Pettersson is the reverse hit on Kalen Addison and then what happened there with Matt Benning. And, you know, that's a garbage hit by Benning. Uh, Pettersson's in a vulnerable spot. And then not only is he down, then there's a cross check to the back. And I know there were penalties assessed, but it was good to see Sam Lafferty was the first one. Friedman got involved as well. Like You got to stick up for your teammates and your star players. And so I was glad to see the Canucks uh, had a response in that situation. 
uh, a Benning pissing off Canucks fans. Where have you heard that before, Jeff? Yeah, you you need that response. It's as simple as that. You need that response. If if there wasn't a response, I think this entire episode would be spent on that play and the Canucks not responding. But hey, like Sam Lafferty, you know, he's not just a goon on that line either. Um, obviously, there was the goalie interference on the first goal, the one that was called back. Uh, but he's going to the net hard there. And that's exactly what you want to see from Sam Lafferty. I, I actually haven't hated him on that line. Again, I, I wish it wasn't the conversation that we were having in late November that Sam Lafferty's the best option on the tops on top six line. But look, Andre Kuzmenko's got to step it up. I've liked what I've seen from Sam Lafferty there. Not the best solution for forever, obviously, but especially when he's doing stuff like that, like sticking up for the guy as well. You can't hate Sam Lafferty in that spot. Uh, and, and it is funny. Like Elias Pettersson, I think Canuck fans know it. And you'd think by now that the league's so heavily scouted that uh, other teams would recognize that he doesn't shy away from contact, not afraid to, you know, get involved physically. You know, that's never going to be his primary mode of operation out there on the ice but uh, I mean absolutely time that hit and lower the boom um you know and so again I, I know that there's sort of this camp that oh he must be injured but then you see him throwing his body around like that that didn't look like a guy that is you know hurt I think everybody plays through things as the season unfolds here and uh again I'm not sure what it is but offensively it's not happening for Elias Pettersson and it's a little longer than I'd like, and it's probably a little longer than he and the organization would like here. It just kind of feels like he's due for some sort of breakout game. I know he had the hat-trick game against Nashville. That sort of stands alone right now, because uh, otherwise it's been drops in the bucket for him offensively. And I think we all know that he's a, a, a far better player than a point here and a point there. The thing he was doing earlier in the season, Jeff, because this is nothing new in terms of what we've seen from him this year, being a little bit off his game. Like, I think we were having these conversations in late October that, yeah, Elias Patterson doesn't look great right now, but he's still tallying the points. And this is a conversation Harmon and I have had a few times on Canucks Convo is when Connor McDavid is off his game historically, maybe not this season, but when he's been off his game, he's still finding a way to put up points. And ultimately, the Oilers were still finding ways to win, even if Connor McDavid was not on his game. They were still finding ways to win. He was still finding ways to put up points. And that was where Pedersen was in most of October and, and the start of November. But lately, the fact that the point production has also gone away, I think that's where the concern really starts to come in because not only does the eye test tell you that he's not playing at his best, but the results that the Canucks are getting are also telling a story of them not having their best player playing at his best. You mentioned the one nothing goal that uh, the Canucks thought they had, and it was overruled last night. The Canucks uh, challenged, and you know they were successful there, and they've been successful on all three other coaches' challenges so far this season. So it cuts both ways. Uh, every team has that at their disposal, and the Sharks challenged for goaltender interference. Sam Lafferty absolutely clips Kakinen's skate. There's no doubt about that one. Uh, I, I think, and my track record in trying to, you know call them correctly is just brutal, but I kind of felt right from the start. The minute I saw in real time, I wasn't sure. I'm not sure that I even saw the contact, but once they showed the first replay, I, I thought there was enough there 
that affected the goaltender. So I wasn't surprised that that goal was overturned. No, not at all. It was one of those ones where you watch it. Like you said, real time also didn't notice it, but it was one of those ones where you were like, oh, if he just lifted his skate, he didn't interfere with the goaltender enough where the goaltender would have been able to save it if Lafferty hadn't touched him at all. And it was one of those where I think those are the frustrating ones when you're watching. And um, if, if you're a Canucks fan, you're watching it and saying, okay, but the goalie probably wouldn't have saved it anyway if Lafferty hadn't clipped him, but he did clip him. So we'll never know. And of course the goal is going to get called back if that's the case, which it was. Yeah, and look, uh, both teams are out there trying to score the first goal. The Canucks have done a remarkable job of it this season. They had opened the scoring in five straight, seven of their last eight. And incredibly, as I went back and looked at this, they had opened the scoring on the road every game since the Tampa game. Nick Paul opened the scoring then. I mean, that feels like a lifetime ago. Every road game they had played since then, it had been nine in a row. So they were probably due to give up the first one. They thought they had scored it. And then a few minutes later, it was Ty Emerson with the slap shot through traffic. You know, when you just look through the San Jose goals, we talked about the fact that uh, Casey DeSmith, not really at fault. Let's just look at those goals quickly. The Emerson slap shot, a bit of an interesting sequence because it all starts, Tyler Myers knocks a puck down out of midair that was just going to fall sort of at his feet. And that led to a face-off in the Canucks zone. I didn't think if he had allowed play to continue, they probably are able to clear the zone and, and carry on. But who knows? You got to win the face-off. They didn't. It was Teddy Bluger and his line. They started to chase. It was Myers and Friedman. And ultimately, the puck works back to the point. And then there was a bunch of traffic in front. So that's why I don't default to Casey DeSmith there. I just think that uh, guys in front of him had to do a better job. And Myers was in front. Like, Myers was the screen there. You watch... I, I love the camera angle when you can see what the goaltender's seeing and you see right. nothing. Like, you can't see anything. You're like, oh, I did. I wouldn't have even known there was a shot taken. So, yeah, it was Tyler Myers in front, obviously battling for position. I believe it, I'd have to look back at it. Um, but I think it was Eklund that he was battling with in front. And uh, obviously, Tyler Myers is a big human. When you have that screen in front of you, it's going to be hard to make the save. Yeah, the second goal, the Zetterlin won... You know, that one was a backbreaker because it's a one-all tie, and the Canucks actually had had some chances there. Besser had an opportunity from Hughes and Hronik, and then Garland on a wraparound came pretty close to scoring. There was some pretty good puck movement, EP40 and his line coming off the rush, and so there were chances there the Canucks didn't score. Then they had the power play, and look, on a night where the power play scores twice, the second power play of the game felt so deflating to me. It was a chance for the Canucks to take a 2-1 lead. And as good as they were in the first period, the second power play was just brutal. And then moments after that, there's Zetterlin finding a soft spot on the ice. Hurdle able to get the puck to him and basically a one-timer. Big league shot that, yeah, sure, DeSmith would love to save, but sometimes you credit the shooters as well. So I, I thought that was a, a significant sequence in the hockey game where the Canucks had their opportunities to go in front 2-1. to one. If they do, maybe they leave the Sharks in their wake, but instead San Jose was able to push back in front and get that second goal. How is Niels Hoglander not on the second power play unit? Like, like, yeah. like let, let's quickly... Quickly think about this from a personnel standpoint. You've got Philip Peronik on power play one. So Tyler Myers is your new power play quarterback. You've got Connor Garland, Ilya Mikheyev, Teddy Bluger. That's the one that I look at and say, come on. And Anthony Bovillier as well. No, no disrespect to him, not mentioning him. I want to focus on Bluger though, because that, that's just a player that doesn't have a ton of offensive upside. You don't need to take draws unless you ice the puck 
when you are on the power play. So why do you have Teddy Bluger out there at all? You don't need to take a face off. And if you do, okay, you're in a bit of a pickle, but why are you icing the puck on the power play? You, if, if you, if there's any scenario other than icing, obviously where you need to take a, take a face off, just send out JT Miller and then quick change, whatever you want to do. You don't need a center. You definitely don't need Teddy Bluger there. And I would argue that you really need Niels Huglander there. I, I I am dumbfounded that he still isn't getting a shot on the second power play unit. Right, and that's where we come back to again Kuzmenko message sent. We'll see if it's delivered, but it's you know it's time to get him back in. I think after sitting two games and some of these other guys that we've talked about, and you know if Phil Hironik goes up to the first unit, I'm okay if they keep Hironik there. But then Kuzmenko obviously would find a, a spot on the second power play unit. Hoaglander should be there as well because the way that second unit was constructed tonight, Ilya Mikheyev is their leading scorer with 11 points. Tyler Myers is the second highest scorer on that second power play unit, and you know that pretty much. Tells you all you need to know, but I totally agree with you about the center, the the center ice thing. There, there's no need to have a centerman, and Teddy Bluger gives you everything he can, but he's not cut out to be a power play uh, guy. Teddy Bluger's fine. He's just not. He's not a power play specialist. Well, not a power play. Yeah, forget specialist. I, I just look. He, there are other areas he contributes. The power play shouldn't be one of them. Uh, lots to come still here. We got our three star selection. We'll get inside the locker room. We'll get some reaction out of San Jose. We'll get to the stat that stands out. Some listener feedback as well. So plenty still ahead here as the Canucks fall four three to the San Jose Sharks. Canucks are fourteen seven and one now on the season. Seven and six on the road. They remain a point back of Vegas because Vegas was shut out by the Arizona Coyotes, so a little bit of a break there. Los Angeles wins again. Kings have won five straight. Uh, They're playing some terrific hockey, so they're tied with the Canucks, and so really a three-horse race at the top of the Pacific Division. So we'll get to a whole lot more here as we push on, but uh, right now it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. Big Western Conference matchup on Sunday. Winnipeg's at Nashville. Jets have won five in a row. Preds have won four straight, so you've got two teams that are playing well. Preds are the home underdog here, and you can get them at plus 200 on the money line. That's your Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. The Canucks fall to the San Jose Sharks. 4-3 the final score. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Back on Rinkwide Vancouver, it's Jeff and it's Dave with you. 4-3, the Canucks fall to the San Jose Sharks. So they're 2-1 against the Sharks this season. And we'll see if this loss proves costly. Again, San Jose's not beaten many teams. Uh, just their fourth win of the season. Uh, teams will wrap up their regular season series. The final game before Christmas, San Jose will be back in Vancouver. So uh, mark it down on the calendar, Dave. Revenge <laughs> night for the Vancouver Canucks. But again, like the Sharks have played a... like They got off to an 0-10-1 start. They have been better since then, but uh, they're still not a particularly good hockey club. And, and I think the Canucks are going to see this one as a, a missed opportunity. Want to hear from the head coach after the loss here. So uh, let's get to Rick Tockett, who wondered if his team perhaps took the Sharks a little too lightly. San Jose has been playing good and they worked hard tonight. And we didn't, we tried at the end to come back and, uh, you know, you got to respect your opponents. This is a, it's a learning lesson. You know, playoff teams don't do this sort of stuff. Playoff teams don't do that, Dave. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good quote from from the head coach. Like he he writes the headlines for us, <laughs> Jeff. Like he does yes. he doesn't. No, you're right. 
I am being 100% serious here. Like, this is a guy who understands how media works. He knows that that is going to be the thing that is discussed on rink-wide Vancouver tonight. He knows that's going to be leading all the newspapers on CanucksArmy.com. He knows that that's going to be right there for his players to see clear as day. I'm sure that's been communicated to them, but he's absolutely right, Jeff. Playoff teams don't do this. Like, this this talk about being tired and, oh, you had a good effort. Like, come on. You don't... That, that doesn't mean anything at this stage in your progression. It goes back to what Thatcher Demko said before the season started, where he said, we're not young anymore. Like, this core is not young anymore. We need to start going out and actually doing it. There's so much time for moral victories, but that was in, like, 2018, 2019, when these guys were on their ELCs. Those days are over. The time to actually perform is right now. And playoff teams, which the Canucks look like they're going to be one, don't do that. You brought it up earlier on a great point by you that, yeah, you're tired right now. Okay, well, it's the end of November. It's the second month of the season and you're tired and it's being used as an excuse, maybe not so much by the players, but just it's what people are throwing around. Everybody's tired when it comes to playoff time. And if this is your excuse for losing to the San Jose Sharks, they're in trouble. They are in big trouble. Now, all of that said, I mean, the Canucks are 14-7-1. They haven't stubbed their toes very often. This isn't the Edmonton Oilers losing to the San Jose Sharks when their season was slipping away. It's not at that level. And so you're not going to win them all. But you come back to the fact that it was a 2-2 tie going to the third period. You look at the talent that both teams had, and you just would have liked to have thought that the Canucks' top end could have swung this game in their favor, even if it had been ugly, just get out of Dodge, get the victory and move on. You know, now they have to bounce back against Anaheim on Tuesday and I'll give them every opportunity because uh, they've been a pretty good team at bouncing back here. Uh, but if they lose to the Ducks, you know, then back-to-back losses to teams like San Jose and Anaheim, I would agree with Rick Tockett that, you know, the really good teams, playoff teams, don't do that. So let's see what Tuesday brings. That's the next one. And then, of course, Thursday, the Vegas Golden Knights, another one of those measuring stick games, and looking forward to that. But uh, the Canucks can't worry about the Golden Knights. Uh, their attention is going to have to be on the Ducks. Uh, the coach was asked about the fatigue thing and kind of was given an out if he wanted to take it. But as you can imagine, Rick Tockett was having none of that. Every team goes through these schedules, and you have to play smart. You know, you got to good, have good angles, short shifts. Um, you know, you got to do your staples when you're, you don't have your game. You can't just, uh, you know, just I, I'm tired and I'm, you know, I'm not going to do my my staples. Like you got to stay in it, and if it's 25 seconds, get off. So I felt we just had too many guys just not ready, whether they were tired or not. Um, then you, you know, then do something different, I guess. Like to see it when. Uh Guys like Ian Cole and Rick Tockett don't like that line of questioning. And I really like it because it's a soft line of questioning, right? When you're asked, oh, well, you know, how how hard are these games right now? And then Cole answers with, yeah, this is the NHL. It's hard, but you need to be ready to play. And it's absolutely true for this team. Yeah, and the coach saying, like, shorter shifts. You're feeling tired. Figure out a way to alter your game for a night and do things that are going to lead to positive results. And the Canucks didn't do enough of that. We talked about Brock Besser and the fact that he scored twice and he's up to 15 now. And one of the really good news stories on this Vancouver Hockey Club. But uh, 
you know, this is a difficult loss for anybody to take. He tried. Uh, he was out there with that uh, crew right down to the, the final buzzer. And as he talked about, board battles and puck retrievals. And, you know, it wasn't just the goals. Uh, he was involved in this hockey game. Uh, Besser was asked after the game about the loss. Everyone knows our schedule's been tough, but, um, you know, I thought we came out slow in the first period. We all felt it. And, you know, San Jose was ready and they took it to us in the first period. But, you know, we were lucky that it was 2-2 went in the third. And, um you know, it's four and four guys that were out there. Can't, can't give up a goal, you know, that that quickly at the start of the period. So that's on us. And there you go. Another guy talking about, you know, yeah, it's tough sked, but everybody goes through it. Uh, he mentioned the slow first period. And there are reasons for that, but you have to find ways to rise above and, and overcome some of those reasons. And so, you know, I'm glad to hear. Like, I, I do think that sort of Talkett's mindset does seep down to the players. Like, you know, the players aren't just sloughing this one off and, hey, we've had a really good start. We can afford a loss like this. Like, you know, I, I think they're sort of taking on the personality of their coach in that they're taking these losses personally. And there's going to be more. They're not going to win every game the rest of the way. But, you know, they come through this stretch at five and five. So they held their own. Like when you think of all the factors and as much travel and some injuries creeping in as well, you know, they treaded water. They were five and five. Like it's not terrible. It's probably not going to undo all the good that they've done to this point, but a six and four record through that 10 game stretch was sitting there. It was on a platter for them. All they had to do was beat the Sharks. Yeah. And back to what you just said about talk, it's mindset seeping down. There's like a culture of accountability with this team that there's just, we haven't seen it in recent years. And I know everybody likes to pin it on Bo Horvat, but it, it's not on Bo Horvat entirely. Like Rick Tockett is kind of setting the standard, it feels like, and everybody's following suit. And I just like that answer from Brock Besser. I just don't think, and not to pick on Besser, but I don't think you hear that from him two years ago on a night when he scores two goals you're not hearing that same kind of answer from Brock Besser so you really like to hear that especially from one of the guys who's you know was kind of a leader on this team kind of has taken a step back in recent years but is at the top of his game right now you love to hear an answer like that from him all right let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three stars of this hockey game as we always do here post game look at uh, who were selected in the building it was a clean sweep for the Sharks, they win the hockey game and they haven't had many wins. So uh, a little home cooking from the star pickers there at the SAP Center. Mikhail Granlin, Thomas Hurdle, and Mike Hoffman all figured in the scoring in this hockey game. Again, I think in a 4-3 game where the Canucks carry the play on the shot clock, I'm going to find a way to get a Canuck in. I don't think it was a clean sweep kind of night for the Sharks, but again, I get where their media group is coming from. I've got Granlin at the top of my list. Again, he was inspired in this game, and that goal that he scored was a thing of beauty, and it was a big one uh, to break the 2-2 the, the tie. So I've got Mikhail Granlin as the first star. Two-goal Brock Besser is the second star for me, and then I'll give Mike Hoffman the third star. He's uh, leading the Sharks in goals. It's a you know, not a huge total, but got more than anybody else on his team. He's up to six now, and he also had an assist on the Ty Emerson goal that opened the scoring midway through the first period. So I've got Granlin, Besser, and Hoffman as my three stars. We talked about Quinn Hughes and the inspired night that he, you can pretty much make a case for Quinn Hughes almost every night out. Doesn't quite make the grade, but I guess I would go honorable mention. Anybody else uh, that uh, deserved to be in the consideration for the three stars, you think? Uh, I don't know, maybe Philip Peronic, maybe, but I don't know. I think the Granlin goal kind of undoes that, I think. Right. I, yeah, again, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody that really, you know, 
deserves to be in there. But in case people are curious, I have looked it up. Uh, this is not the first time this season that the Sharks have had a clean sweep of three stars. This is their <laughs> third of the oh, season. Wow. So hey, it's not great, but it's not their first. I had to look it up. I was a little worried there that we were about to see the first clean sweep of three stars for the San Jose Sharks this season. But that is not the case tonight. Hey, we're going to get to some listener feedback. Uh, the stat that stands out tonight for me is mind-boggling, and I'm going to pass this one along. It comes from the National Hockey League Public Relations Department, and it came out midway through this hockey game. The Vancouver Canucks doing something that has never been done in the history of the NHL. Yeah, that's a stat that stands out. We'll tell you what that is and whatever else we will squeeze in to the final segment of Rinkwide Vancouver. Final segment of Rink-Wide Vancouver is the Canucks fall by a score of 4-3 down in San Jose. It's Jeff Patterson along with David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Convo. And I know you and Hart will have lots to talk about uh, on Monday when you guys get back at it. But uh, in the meantime, we push on here on Rink-Wide Vancouver. And I want to get to some listener feedback before we get to the stat that stands out. And so we'll get to our social channels at Rink-Wide Van. We always ask uh, at the end of every game what stood out to you Andrew says travel and back-to-backs, not a great equation for success. Back-to-backs at home, that's manageable, but uh, having to take an hour and a half flight at midnight, and then we said bus from Oakland down to San Jose, you get into your hotel, not a great night of sleep. And it was back-to-back for San Jose, Dave, but it was an afternoon game on Black Friday. They lost to Montreal in a shootout, so sleeping in their own bed, they were finished by mid-afternoon. They had finished well before the Canucks even hit the ice in Seattle on Friday, so advantage there for the San Jose Sharks. So whatever the case, they're the last place team in the league. It was sitting there for the Canucks. They didn't get it done. Charlie says, PD ain't right. Besser's a goal-scoring machine this year. Nobody's going to be more pissed at Miller than Miller is for missing the shot in the last minute. And what an opportunity. And what a reaction from JT Miller as well. Uh, that rebound that was there ends up in row 15. So, uh, yeah, didn't quite hit his spot. You know, that was the chance they were looking for. And it was on the stick of JT Miller. But uh, unfortunately for him, uh, didn't come close. And then uh, just the the visceral reaction. He knew that he had to do better uh, with that opportunity. JT Miller with an assist on every Canucks goal tonight. If he had capped off that one, <laughs> like if he if he had buried that one, not only is he the first star maybe in the building. Well, maybe not in the building, but definitely the first star on this show. Yeah, I mean, rolling puck, you club it into row 15, like you said, and the reaction was priceless from JT Miller. And you know what? Like, that's the thing. We've seen all the bad emotions from JT Miller. You you love to have a guy like that on your team who cares that much, right? Like, it's not a, oh, I just missed the net. Ah, oh, shoot, that's, that was a hard puck to hit, whatever. Like, it was, it was a hard one to bury because it was rolling on end. Just the... the doubled over like doubled over can't cannot believe what he just did and hey like if he had gotten that one great tough for him not to bury that one but oh no and, and again I know I was praising the guy but I took issue I don't, I don't know if you noticed this too Jeff I took issue with the goaltender pulled JT Miller let's go of two wrist shots from the high slot into traffic and San Jose goes the other way on both of them and, you know, you're looking off passing options and, hey, I know we want to see these guys shoot and you don't want them to get too cute and pass it around too, too much and time winding down. I understand all that. I just 
the the quality of the shots it just I I didn't love it I I look I was watching it and, and rarely do I actually look at it and say okay he's gonna he has to pass this there's no way he's gonna shoot because we know what a weapon JT Miller's wrist shot is I just thought there were two back to back where I thought okay you, you got to be passing there and he shoots it into traffic and San Jose goes the other way well I think part of it though is. Elias Pettersson's not a threat to shoot right now. And like in those situations, like I'm wondering if Miller even recognizes that and that rather try to force a pass across to to 40, that he's just going to, he knows that Pettersson's not going to shoot. And so maybe he's shooting himself in those situations because again, it comes back to the fact that something just not right there with Elias Pettersson. Just want to get back to a couple other uh, feedback uh, options here that came into the uh, uh, the social channels, Alex says, to be considered in the upper echelon of teams, you got to find ways to win despite being tired in back-to-backs. We're good, but not quite in that top tier yet. And I think, yeah, I mean, they're hanging with the big boys in the National Hockey League. But, you know, for all the good the Canucks have done, and we always talk about people back east and they don't stay up to watch these games, you know, this result will raise some eyebrows, certainly, around the National Hockey League on Sunday morning. There's no doubt about that. And the Rocket says they would have won if it wasn't for San Jose's goaltending. Dave, this is the first time anybody has uttered this sentence, I believe, <laughs> this season. Now, Mackenzie Blackwood's actually been pretty decent for them, doesn't get a lot of support, but uh, the Rocket says their goalie's the only person that helped them win, and I'm saying, no, Mikhail Granlin had one of the nights of his life tonight, so come on, I'm not sure what game the Rocket was watching there, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kakinen hasn't had a lot of nights where he can feel good about his performance, but he was good, made some saves, he was busy in that third period. Again, Canucks outshot the Sharks 15-7 in the third, 34-22 on the night. Hopefully he gets some love from his teammates tonight, because <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you remember this, the 10-1 to game yeah, that yeah. the Canucks played, like when, when Kuzmenko bowled over Kakinen, all his teammates just skated away. The guys collapsed on the ice. The Canucks are attending to him and like worried about him. And all his teammates are skating away like, oh, he'll figure it out. He, he'll get up, shake, walk this one off. Like they, they brought that back. They brought that back on hockey night to, tonight. They were talking about that one. No, I think I saw his teammates mob him at the end of the game. So uh, they, <laughs> they didn't just skate to the room and, and ignore him. We talked about the clean sweep for the three stars in the building. I thought maybe they would throw a little sugar the goaltender's way because he only has the two wins on the season. All right, let's get to the stat that stands out to feature here uh, on each and every edition of Rinkwide. And this one really jumps out to me. Quinn Hughes picked up an assist. He ran his point streak to 11 games. Uh, he had actually at one point he had two, and then they changed the assist on the first Besser goal from Hughes to Miller. So Quinn finishes the night with one, but that was enough uh, on the Heronic goal to extend his point streak to 11. So he matches Phil Heronic. With an 11-game point streak, if Quinn can get a point against the Ducks on Tuesday, he'll stand alone, yet another record that he will hold among Canuck defensemen. No Canuck defender has ever had points in 12 straight. So he's sitting at 11, but this is the stat that stands out, and the NHL PR department tweeted this during the game. The Vancouver Canucks are the first team in National Hockey League history to have two different defensemen with 11-game point streaks in the same season. No other team has ever done that. This league's been around for a while. And no team has ever had a pair of defensemen with 11-game point streaks in the same season, and we're 22 games into this one. Like, again, there's just so many. It feels like every night there's a mind-boggling statistic <laughs> that comes out of it, and so many of them involve Hughes and, and Heronic. 
but that's wild to me. Like there've been a lot of good defensemen over the, the years in the National Hockey League and no teams had a pair of guys to do what Quinn Hughes and Philip Hironik have done already this season. That is definitely a stat that stands out. Has this ever happened, excluding maybe Vegas and Seattle? Has there ever been a pair of players to both tie the same franchise record in the same season? Like, that, that's crazy if you really think about it. Like, and especially the one that you pointed out, the stat that stands out. That is a stat that definitely stands out. The score stands out tonight, 4-3. The Sharks beat the Canucks. Sunday will be a well-deserved day off. We've documented the travel issues uh, I would imagine back to work on Monday, practice. We'll see where Andre Kuzmenko slots in at some point. Hopefully we'll get an update on Pia Suter. That's uh, really become a mystery now. He's missed seven games for the Vancouver Canucks. And I think they have missed him. When we talk about all these other guys that are fighting it right now, he had found his scoring form when he disappeared. And it's been a couple of weeks. And so he's on IR right now, but he can be activated. So we'll see if there's any chance that Pia Suter joins the club for its next practice or if they have to continue to push on uh, in his absence. So Monday should uh, reveal a few things. I would think about uh, the way Rick Tockett is going to line his team up to face the Ducks for the first time on Tuesday, and then uh, they're at home to Vegas on Thursday. So uh, again, I think uh, lesson learned for the Vancouver Canucks. Can't take anybody lightly, whether they're at the top of the standing, the bottom of the standings. These are NHLers. They're all out there trying to win, and the Sharks did do that tonight. So disappointing end to a busy, busy run for the Vancouver Canucks. Again, 14-7-1. and uh, they're still right there, knocking on the, the door, the top spot in the Pacific Division. Their playoff spot is still firmly secured for the time being. They've had a lot of good, but uh, this, I, I would think, of their 22 games, the, the game in Philly wasn't great, obviously, when they got shut out, but I would say of the 22, this is the most disappointing result just based on the opponent. Undoubtedly. Like, I, I'm trying to think of what comes second. Maybe the maybe the game in Philadelphia? Maybe but the Philadelphia Flyers aren't the 2023-2024 San Jose Sharks. They're just not. So uh, undoubtedly, I think this one stands alone. Well, I, I guess anytime you lose to Toronto, right? I mean, the way that they had been playing the run they were <laughs> yes. on Saturday night uh, in Toronto, I mean, that's always going to be disappointing. But the Leafs are the Leafs, and they've got some firepower, although they kept uh, Matthews and Marner in check that night. And it was some of their guys lower in the lineup that came through for them. So we won't revisit that one on this episode. If you want to listen to that episode, you can go find it a couple of weeks ago. Canucks lose by a score of 4-3 to three to the San Jose Sharks. That's going to do it for us here on this Saturday night. Again, we'll be back on Tuesday after the Canucks and the Ducks, and, and then we'll start to set up Thursday's big showdown uh, with the Stanley Cup champs, the Vegas Golden Knights, coming to town. Uh, for David Quadrelli, this is Jeff Patterson. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.